You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Thanks so much, Molly. Um, causing the apocalypse, I don't really know how to follow that. I don't think I did, is what I will say. Hello, my name's Roxanne, and that was quite an epic thing for me to do, actually, on the brink of lockdown, was the last time I was here telling a story. And I don't know how lockdown was for you. I mean, it was a complicated time and a devastating time for so many of us, but I fell into some, some black holes there. And... I think the string of stories I'm about to tell you is possibly something to do with it. It's also just about my life in pets. So there's a a connection to the last story. I feel like if that was the name of a show, Roxanne's Life in Pets, you probably wouldn't come. (laughs) (laughs) But you're here already. So um, welcome to Roxanne's Life in Pets. It starts like this. Number one, are you ready? Buckle up. Great. Uh, was Susie. He wasn't strictly my pet, but she was my grandma's cat, and I lived with my grandma until I was four. Uh, the thing I remember about Susie is that me and my sister used to hide behind the dining room door and wait for Susie to appear. And when she did, we would jump out and try and ride her as if she was a horse. Um, <laughs> she didn't like it, and so she didn't really like us. And the only other thing I remember about her is that I have her to thank for my first word which was pussy, and that is actually true. Um, My second cat (laughs) was when I'd moved out of my grandma's house. I was in a, uh, with my mum and dad, not on my own, I was only six, Um, in a pebble dash, semi-detached in the London suburbs, and Bella was our first pet. Bella was a cat. She was a silver tabby, just to paint it for you. She was a kitten when we got her, which was very exciting for all of us. And... The thing I remember about her most is that she used to pounce on my feet when I was trying to go to sleep. And that was quite endearing and also quite painful. Um, The other thing about her is that her lasting legacy for me, a bit like Susie, maybe there's a theme. In fact, I should have said um, that you're the guinea pigs for this story. I've never told it before in this way. Um, So perhaps you'll notice things about me. I sometimes think if you tell a story or look at your life through one particular lens, maybe you'll work out stuff about yourself. So if you work something out about me, I'd love to know. Maybe you could write it in an anonymous envelope and leave it at the front, or just tell me in the bar afterward. Anyway, um, yes, Bella. Her legacy, her lasting legacy, was that she left me, of course, with my porn name, because she was officially my first pet. So I am Bella St. Mary. Anyone else have one of those? Yeah? What's your saying? Duke Beechwood. Or Excelsior. Goodness me. That beats mine, I think. Yeah. My next pet was the one that I remember that for, for the longest. His name was Muffin, and he was a white and turtle shell. There's a name for that, isn't there? But I don't know what it is. Um, cat, and he was a rescue cat, and he spent ages hiding underneath the sideboard in our dining room, I remember, when we got him. 
Um, and he was so docile and so kind and sweet. He was the sort of pet that someone would ask you about, like, oh, how's Muffin? You know how sometimes, I don't know if you have kids, but I get this. They ask you, oh, how are your kids, before they ask you how you are? Um, I don't like that much, but they did that with Muffin. <laughs> how's Muffin? <laughs> and I'd be like, I think he's fine. <laughs> Anyway, Muffin was nice. He was great. He didn't claw my feet, and um, he was so sweet. And he was very important to my mum, I think, because we all left home during the time of Muffin, and she was left with Muffin. And I think that was good for her, my mum and dad, but I think she was more connected to him. Um, I don't remember any of the others and how they passed, by the way, and I think there's a theme to that. But Muffin, I remember him ailing slightly as he was getting older. And mum eventually saying that he was going to have to go to the vets and be put down. And of course, that was very sad for all of us. I don't remember feeling that sad. Um, I was at university at the time, living at large. She was really sad and I could understand. And they decided they were going to leave London shortly after Muffin had departed. Not because he had, but just because that was their plan anyway. And they thought that they would... Um, they couldn't possibly bury Muffin in the garden at 22 Beachmount Avenue, West London, that they would instead um, take him to a place where we knew well that we could visit regularly. And that was a caravan in West Norfolk, in Stettisham, because it was my grandma's caravan and it would have been left to the family and we would, we would carry on going there. I'd been going since I was six months old. It was a, you know, an important family place. So mum was going to take Muffin to the caravan. So she did go to that awful day to the vet and they did put Muffin down and she put him on her lap. My dad was driving and they drove all the way from the suburbs of beyond Ealing, if any of you know that area of the world, and drove all the way to West Norfolk, which probably took them about three hours with Muffin on her lap in a purple blanket. That was his blanket with orange stitching. I remember it. Um, I wasn't there, obviously. And they buried Muffin in the grounds of the caravan because we own the land around it, which was sad, but it happens, doesn't it? And then two years later, there was a terrible storm. I feel like I should have said that into the microphone like that. Um, crashing lightning and thunder and crashing rain. And um, it was, if you know that area of the coast, you know that we also uh, struggle with erosion, don't we? And um, there was some terrible damage to the wash on that day that fateful day. And when my mum and dad went to go and check the caravan, uh, they found not only that the, the caravan was all right, but the garden was kind of half missing. And Muffin had been unearthed. <laughs> I know. It's kind of funny and not funny at the same time, do you see what I mean? It's okay if you want to laugh. It's, it's, I don't think mum ever expected, of course, mum never expected to see him again. You don't bury a fucking cat and then expect it to come back to bounce back do you you just don't um so it, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a funny not funny thing it is, it is. Um, so my poor mum and she was pretty devastated to find muffins the purple blanket which was made of fleece was still intact by the way um so they re what is that called? Mummified? Oh, no, it's not the word. Interred, maybe, him in, in the blankets and then back in the earth. And we've never seen him, you'll be glad to know, since. Yeah. The next pet 
Um, I'm going back in time again now because I had to tell the whole story of Muffin, um, was a hamster when I was about eight and we were lucky enough to look after the school pet. Have you ever done it? Not many of you. I felt quite excited at the time. I think I did. I don't remember it well. So we carried the cage home and it was going to be really fun. We were going to look after Chocolate the hamster. Um, Chocolate was the biggest hamster I've ever seen. He looked a bit more like a rat, I think, because the kids fed him so much that he was very overweight. And we were going to look after him. It was fun. It was exciting. We were also feeding him too much. Um, and then, one day, it's a bit like the storm, one terrible day, chocolate disappeared. Yeah, I know. It was bad. I felt awful. I was worrying what I was going to say to my teacher. If I couldn't look after a fucking hamster, what could I look after? Oh, no, it was, it was terrible news. But we, um, we looked everywhere. We looked under the sideboards. We looked in my toy cupboards. I even checked up the stairs if the chocolate could possibly scale the stairs. He wasn't up there. Um, my dad's funnily had an idea that maybe he'd gone at the one place he could get underneath the floorboards in the house, which was underneath the stair cupboards around the kind of gas meter. Exciting bit of information. You're welcome. And... <laughs> um, uh, we, we, we decided we'd put a bowl of food down there to see if he would, there'd be evidence of him coming to get it, right? And so we kept vigil under the stairs, lying on our stomachs with a torch in rotors. <laughs> but not while we were sleeping, we thought that was a bit much. And then every morning when we would get up, some of the food had gone. So either chocolate was still alive and under the floorboards, or we had rats one of the two. Um, we didn't find chocolate for days and days and days. And then my dad was like, we're going to have to buy a new hamster. And I was like, I can't do it. There's no way. I can't do it. But we did have to do it. And there was no way we were going to get a hamster like chocolate. He was massive, like I said. There's no hamster in existence, possibly ever, that looked like him. But we did get a lovely sandy-coloured hamster, and we called him Hammy. And the night before we were going to go back to school... We'd shined our shoes, we'd laid out our uniform. Whoever was on duty found chocolate underneath the floorboards, underneath the gas meter, right? Just where Dad had said. And I think it was my brother, and he screamed and shouted, and my dad came and extracted chocolate, and we got chocolate out, and we gave him back to school, and it was all fine. But then we had Hammy the hamster, who, <laughs> who turned out to be evil as fuck. He would bite you every time you picked him up. And he was not a nice thing. I didn't like him. No. Um, he would gnaw at his bars in his cages if he was trying to break out of prison. And one day he did. Yeah. But he was at our friend's house because they were looking after him. You can see where this is going. On, when we were on holiday. And the day before we were going to get back from holiday, we were like, shit, we're going to have to buy them a new fucking hamster. They even like the first one. So they bought a lovely little Russian hamster who was really small and cute. And I was like, when I got back, was kind of jealous because, of course, Hammy turned the fuck up. <laughs> yes. It didn't just happen once. It happened twice. And then they had a hamster, and I had the shit one. And I don't, re I don't remember how Hammy died. I don't remember. Um, I didn't have any more pets until I bought my children some pets. Um, I said you were the guinea pigs for this story, and this story ends with guinea pigs. And my little girl is 
the littlest one is five, when I got her the guinea pigs, and she's totally obsessed with animals. We didn't really feel ready for a dog, but I thought we would buy her two guinea pigs for her birthday. And we surprised her. We were camping with two bowls, guinea pig bowls and some feeders, and we were like, you can have these. And she thought it was a joke, and she could feed them to her toy guinea pigs. And we were like, no, we're going to actually get you real guinea pigs. So we went to go and get them in a Tesco car park. It was part lockdown. And it was weird, but fine. And they put them on their laps to take them home because I forgot to bring a cardboard box. That was also fine. And the guinea pigs have been a massive part of our lives since. And they sit on the sofa with the kids and watch telly. Um, do you know they're incontinent? <laughs> <laughs> so there's shit all over my house. But that's also kind of fine. And not fine. Um, it does drive me up the wall. And this is the last sad, this is the last part of the story. But one fateful night, and I might cry telling this bit because it's kind of awful, at 4am, I wake. And I don't know why, but I'm up on my feet in my bedroom and I'm actually looking out the window before I kind of really know I'm up. And I can see a cat exiting the guinea pig's hutch with something in its mouth. I shout expletives at the cat. In hindsight, that was probably the wrong thing to do because it ran with whatever it had in its mouth. But I didn't even think about it. I was running down the stairs in my pyjamas, like falling over myself out of the back door, and I'm out in the dark and the orange light of the lamps, and it's weird and 4 a.m. And I look in the hutch, and there's only one guinea pig. Yeah. And by this time, my husband's joined me because he's heard the kerfuffle, the guinea pig squeaking, and the me shouting expletives at 4 a.m. And he's joined me in the garden, and we're looking everywhere with our phone torches for this other guinea pig. And eventually, we're like, she's not here. And so I was like, I'm going out to the back alley. If you know the terraces of Norwich, you'll know that the back alleys are often awful places, apart from Beaconsfield Road, which is a lovely one. Um, <laughs> ours is full of shit and rubbish and probably needles, but I'm like, I'm going out to the back alley. Um, notice it was me and not my husband. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Um, I ran out of the front door, three doors down, I had to go down, the weird light, the darkness, there's no birds singing, it's that time of year, and I'm in the back alley, and I'm looking left and right, and I see a cat on the fence, and I give it evils, my really best evils I've got, and it runs, fucking runs, um, and I see a pile on the floor, and it's Fifi, the, the guinea pig, oh God, and you, you note I've never cried before, <laughs> because I didn't really give a shit, but this one I gave a shit about. And I was like, cradled it in my jumper. I had a big yellow jumper on. I took it back um, into the house. And I was like, Max, I found her. She's here. And he was like, he wasn't looking at her. And I was like, I found her. She's here. And I realised that he just couldn't. So we sat on the floor together. We put her in a little cardboard box. And it was about 5 a.m. by now. And of course, we couldn't back, go back to sleep. We just had to wait for the girls to wake up and tell them, oh, my God, it was horrible. And we did tell them, and they, they took it. You know, it was hard. We told them they didn't have to go to school that day. They did go to school. They were fine. Um, the next day, a couple of days later, my little girl took her photo of her and Fifi down from her bed because she said it was too hard to look at. Whew. And I was like, yeah, babes, of course. Like, I get it. Yeah. And for weeks and weeks afterwards, I was... It was awful. I was being replayed, this guinea pig, and the, and the cat, and the 4 a.m., like, over and over again. And a couple of weeks later, my little girl said to me, do you know 
what? We did give her a, a burial, by the way. They decorated a box and we said some words and put her in the garden. It was all very ceremonious, unlike all the others. Um, she was like, I don't think about Fifi so much anymore. And I was like, that's sweet. I think about her all the time. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Roxanne oh. Matthews! <laughs> Two Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk.